we kicked. <laughs> yeah, I forgot the end of the story. Oh. Well, do <laughs> you want to jump in the podcast anyway? <laughs> yeah, let's fucking do this. All right, we're, we're here in Huntsville, Alabama. I'm sharing secrets, apparently. Close to live. Um, we're having a good time. I drove all the way from where I live to here where Alex White lives, our guest for Cosmic Dragon. You're my guest now, bitch. I guess so. <laughs> Alex is the type who would turn some questions back on me, like, That's well, right. what about you? <laughs> I've seen that happen, like, on all, all these old uh, interview shows, like, where they're sitting down smoking together. That's how I flip the script on my interviewers. They can't call me the guest now. Right. You're the guest when you're staying in my house. And then you take over the show. And <laughs> right. then it's, it's my show now. <laughs> live with Alex White. Yeah. It's like, who's that other guy? I'm like used the to Medici host? of podcasting. <laughs> I'll let you keep your show, maybe. So, yeah, I'm here at Alex's house and uh, drove and through the night. Stayed in the hotel. Nice Clearing in, not bad. Because you were coming in at two a.m. I right. want our listeners to know that I'm a I'm a good host. Right. If it was at a decent time, Alex would have totally let me stay, but it, it wasn't. So, but uh, I'm glad to be here. This is the farthest I've ever driven to interview anyone. So, congratulations. Oh, oh that's awesome. I didn't know I was being uh, fully interviewed, but uh, oh, that's okay. I um, like, oh yeah, I got some questions for you. I was like, oh, he probably wants to know about the bodies. The the bodies? Nah. Okay. Not, <laughs> don't worry about it. You do we are in your shed. That's true. I don't behind, have I don't see any trap doors, but behind this my I think fence, has wheels. Right behind my fence. There's a sign that's being like eaten by nature that says, Beware, Wheeler Wildlife Refuge, do not enter. <laughs> So, of course, we shot some little short films back up in there. Oh, yeah. You could do some nice black metal videos. <laughs> it's a little, it's a, it's a lot green. Like, whenever New Zealanders talk about not being able to, like, get through the bush, you know, I'm always like, yeah, I kind of, I feel like I know what you're talking about. Like, you, where you can't, like, walk through the woods without taking, like, five foot high steps <laughs> just to get over the brambles. Now, how long have you lived in Alabama? I've lived in Alabama. I moved here in '86. Oh wow! Um, yeah, and then I got out um, for you know a while in the 2000s, and then came back in 2008. 2008. So I, I've I've gotten to see um, what the effects of two presidential elections can have. Uh, or I should say two presidents can have on a place's landscape. Right. I didn't know the Crimson Tide would be that kind of red. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Don't... Oh, we won't go down that, that road. They're going to love that. Yeah, Bama is Republican. <laughs> yeah, you can't say Roll Tide anymore if you're a Democrat. <laughs> oh, that's going to go over really well in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> Uh, but yeah well this is awesome I'm glad to be here and we're going to talk about your books where you came from so uh, can you tell us I know you're agented but let's tell our listeners who you're agented by I am agented by Connor Goldsmith of the New York Goldsmiths no, uh, <laughs> of uh, Fuse Literary and uh, uh, yeah he's a great guy and you're published with Orbit? I am. As well as Solaris and Titan. And Titan. You, you've got a lot of books. A lot of books. Um, We're with three different editors. Yeah. What was that? How's that been? They are very different people. <laughs> and have very different styles. And it's kind of interesting <clears throat> kind of realizing that when they're editing you, you know, the structural changes that they're asking for are to conform to a certain pace and experience that they're looking for. Right. But they are, like, desperate to have your spice on that situation. Right. You know, and it's always, it's always funny to me when people kind of complain a little bit about TradPub. They'll say, like, oh, you lose all control because you have to, you have to you know, listen to an editor. 
And it's like, the editor basically gives me thinking games for my book. Right. It's always better when you fix it your way. Right. Based on their suggestion. Right. And they are begging for my take. That's why they hired me. Right. <laughs> yeah. I want something like this, but I want you to figure out exactly how to do it. Yeah, exactly. So Bree is, is she's, she's really loves to say like, well, you just do your, 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 your version of that. You do you for that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So that's anyway, awesome. Editors are great. I love them. And so your first book it was with Solaris, correct? And that yes. was Every Mountain Made Low. What was that about? Yes. Um, Every Mountain Made Low is about an autistic woman living in a dystopian version of Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, that's kind of like, it's almost like it died in the 1980s. Wow. Um, which, you know, growing up near Birmingham, that was often how that town was perceived. Um, you know, of course, I would later learn that, like, like all issues, that one is very complex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, um, but yeah, it, it, you know, I, I remember the kind of feeling of sadness watching its industry, or, I, you know, I guess it mostly did before I was even on the scene, but, you know, uh, and, and that was really my first, like, urban experience as well, was Birmingham, uh, going to boarding school there for a brief time like it was a it was like a magnet school boarding school not like a boarding school right not oxford uh, yeah i, I didn't get thing. like sorted into a house or anything <laughs> 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 you know um and, and i failed out of that boarding school so you know hey there we go uh <laughs> if you if you fail out of boarding school you'll become a sci-fi novelist there you go that might be the worst curse i don't know it's a rough gig I love it. Wouldn't take another, but man. Yeah. So uh, now, after that, it was big time for you because you had the Cold Forge alien. Oh, yeah. We were talking about what the book was about. Right. Uh, okay. So Every Mountain Made Low. Right. <laughs> she, um, she, uh, her, she really only has like one friend because... It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a society that's not very good at caring for people in it, you know, right. like ours. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's sad because, like, a lot of the dystopian features of Every Mountain Made Low, I really just feel like are architectural. Right. Like, the dystopia that exists in Every Mountain Made Low is basically the one that currently exists. <laughs> <laughs> if you were not yeah. in the right, you know... Like, you know, we lived, um, you know, we had to go on government assistance at one point and living below the poverty line in Coleman, Alabama. It was like the worst possible scenario. And we're getting like hit with medical bills and stuff like that. Basically bankrupting our poor and loving relatives who I am so lucky to have. And all I could think the entire time was like, cut me off from my relatives and I am fucking dead. Yeah. Dead, dead, dead. No chance no chance. And I got so angry because that's around the same time that we got my son's diagnosis a long time before, you know, psychologists would start speculating about me. <laughs> um, and, you know, I started to feel just completely hopeless for him. I was like, what is the infrastructure that's in place if nothing happens for us if, 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 I, if I don't provide somehow something that's going to have enough perpetual motion to get him to his grave. And, you know, maybe if he's lucky, his offspring will have the benefit of his parentage. You know, hey, maybe. But, um, you know, you really see how, uh, how things start to react to you when you start to get towards the French. And uh, everything became more expensive. You know, groceries, you'd have to buy them from a place that would, like, give you a huge fucking surcharge for the worst fucking groceries, you know, just because they were in your neck of the woods, mm -hmm. which is the neck you could get the apartment in, not the neck you wanted to be in. Right. You know, that kind of stuff. It was not good. And I didn't even live like that for that long. You know? <laughs> right. Like, I... You know, and so yeah, I was I was terrified and furious, and I wanted to write something that meant something to me. And so, uh, every mountain made low is about a woman 
who really only has one friend, but she has a couple of jobs, but really most of the people in her life who act like they're friendly to her are really just using her. Mm-hmm. And um, she, like, is descended from a line of mediums. Her mother is a medium, her grandmother's medium. Uh, it's it has nothing to do with autism. I hate the uh, I hate that trope when it's right. It's like Ben oh, Affleck this, kills people this. with his autism powers. I makes <laughs> me like murderously angry. It's the the movie The Accountant. Oh, that's that's I didn't realize. Uh, yeah, and I'm like listening to my favorite Radiohead song in the trailer. Like, great, awesome, cool. <laughs> yeah, I hate that stuff. So I wanted to write a character who was experiencing the things that you know my my son and I were kind of you know bonding over and um you know and and trying to really i don't know um i didn't want her to be good at guns i didn't want her to be you know i wanted her to have the anxieties that she deals with and i wanted her to have the problems that she deals with and it was so funny because like she's a good gardener and she plays the violin very well because she's obsessive about both things Mm -hmm. which you know, I think a lot of writers have an unhealthy relationship with their writing, for example, yeah. where you feel like a piece of crap. Yeah. If you go one day without doing it, you're like, oh, man, I'm flushing my dreams away. Right. What kind of piece <laughs> of garbage am I? I'm not serious enough. Right. I have book deals and people are dying for those and I have them and I spent one day not writing. So what an ingrate, because I know that somebody would spend every hour of every day to have it. Do you ever have this feeling of just not being satisfied? Like, even when the good shit comes and you're like, okay, that's awesome. But, like, after, like, two days, you're like, like, there's still something you want more? No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Uh, then I'm fucking crazy. No, no, no. I think it's great. Um, It's not that there's something I always want more. I mean, I will say, um, I mean, the initial high of getting a book deal of any kind, like, you can have, like... The most, well, okay. As long as, as long as you feel like they're serious. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, let me let me not steer your listeners over to the most predatory vanity presses. Yeah. <laughs> um, but even the smaller, like right. not as big of an advance is any book all deal that. where you get paid. Right, is a good book deal. A good book deal. <laughs> right, I mean that's upfront. You know, and I hate that. I hate that. That that's how the marketplace is. And I'm not sure how to fix that. Mm. And that's probably a different podcast about market forces. <laughs> Which I have no fucking clue about. So Yeah. Um, okay, so <laughs> let's talk more about your books. Um, Alien. The Cold, the Cold Forge. Forge. What's this book about? It's from Titan. Man, I gotta... I gotta... In that past book that we were just about to talk about, yeah, her best friend gets murdered. She can see the ghost, but the ghost is not cool. It's just a scary ghost. And uh, But she decides she wants to get revenge because, damn it, this is enough. I love revenge. So it is a revenge tale. Oh, okay, that'll be the first one I read then. However, as I mentioned, it's not like her superpower is guns or anything. She doesn't really have a superpower. She can see ghosts, but that's bad because the ghosts don't like her. Right, it's not like Jennifer Love it's Hewitt. A, it's a curse. Or, uh, she's cursed. The other medium show. Yeah, <laughs> she's actually cursed. It is bad. Um, so anyway, so yeah, so so it, it's it is not the sort of bloody wild falling off the back of a car kind of revenge tale that you might be thinking of. It is very much a contained, calculating psychological thriller that's mostly quiet. You know and. And things like, how can I make this person my friend because I need the help they can give me? Right. You know, and, and kind of solving those social challenges when the stakes are really, really high and important and serious. Yeah. And also uh, getting to work in a lot of uh, the shitty, userous things that I've seen people do to people with cognitive disabilities. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know. Would you say this is your more- I, You know, I, let, me, let me rephrase that. Yeah. To, to people who are neurotypical. Right. Would you say this is your more your most personal book so far? Uh, it's the most personal one that, uh, that's ever been published. Uh, and probably the most personal one that will ever be published. <laughs> I don't know. You, I, you know, I, I hope, I, I certainly hope, um, I don't know. I hope I don't have any stories bigger to tell about myself. <laughs> you never know. Uh, so that sounds awesome. 
Uh, that'll be the first one I read. Uh, and I may just read all your work in chronological order. Um, It'd be like Franco sawing off my arm in a canyon like, well, I guess John was right. I'm going to write a better book after all. <laughs> that was another, that was another uh, 127 hour reference. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> callback. That's what the stand-up comedians call that. Um, okay, so Alien the Cold Forge. Yeah. This is from Titan. What's it about? So it's got... Um, it's the year after uh, the events of the movie Aliens. So the second Alien movie. The second Alien movie, yeah. Which, can I just say, is the greatest naming scheme ever. <laughs> It'll confuse Alien. people. <laughs> What's worse than Alien? Aliens. More. Plural. <laughs> Several of them. <laughs> Whoa, shit, man. <laughs> I that mean, first one, that, that first dang alien, that dang alien was so scary. I mean, you mean like, there's more? I mean, yeah, I love that. I love that. I love it. I think it's a moment of genius. I, I wish I could have been in the meeting when whoever said it leaned forward and was like, what about aliens? Right. <laughs> and it was yeah, they're just more. like, yes! <laughs> well, yeah, because think Alien 2, it just, it sounds hokey cheesy and it's aliens yeah okay so it's after aliens right and um so Waylon and Donnie you know they were petitioned you know by Burke to go and intervene in the in the LV-426 colony I mean mm-hmm. Burke is the uh uh what was it uh director of special operations mm-hmm. uh, which is like an unreal oh no Director of Special Projects, mm-hmm. was it? Special something. But it was like an unreal good title for a corporation like Weyland yutani Yeah. Okay? If I told you I was the director of anything at like Pfizer, for example, right? you'd be like, oh, hi. Uh, hi, Roller. What's up? <laughs> but Burke is like insistent on going himself and then betraying the only people with guns. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not really sure. I, you know, I've been critical of Burke before, and I, I will be critical of him again. That movie is an American classic, but Burke is like a coked-up corporate parody. Right. And so I wanted to have a really actually effective corporate auditor okay. in an alien story. Somebody who is... Um, uh, so, Dorian Sudler, and I was like, is it too much to name him Dorian and then it went all the way through all the editors and all the people at Fox, and I was like, I guess not. <laughs> because I thought that, that was like, I was a little worried it'd be like naming him like Adolf or something. Like, <laughs> like he's not nice, his name's Dorian. Right. <laughs> Don't trust him, he's beautiful, but he's untrustworthy. <laughs> so anyway, um, Dorian is the uh, director of special resources which is the human resources branch that deals with special projects okay and just like any other corporate adve- corporate venture you're still having to kind of you know say okay well we got to hire this many people we got to fire this many people it doesn't matter if we're talking about you know building widgets or releasing genophages there's still an HR person right um, which you know uh, I feel like should probably go to jail in some <laughs> cases. <laughs> so anyway, uh, um, so Dorian is part of the branch that determines like which projects to cut because personnel could be effectively top graded as they like to call it now. Mm. <laughs> fired, fired people. You're firing people. They call it top graded. Yeah. That sounds more positive than it really is. Oh, it's way... Yeah, like, here's the thing. I think it probably... I feel like that term probably had to mean something else originally, like maybe an employee that's overpaid and under-effective. You know, kind of like, we went for the top-paid people who suck. Or something like that. It was probably some, some, you know, entrepreneurial attempt at... Well, let's make it sound better. Right. Um, uh, But, like... All I know is managers use it to not say fired. Right. That's the only use I've ever seen of that term, and it's fucking hateful because it covers up what you're doing. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, you know, and maybe maybe it's the result of some lawsuit or what? I don't know. I you never know with this garbage. Uh, 
But anyway, so Dorian's there to top grade people. And um, so he's there because one of the projects on the Cold Forge is like way behind schedule and totally running out of resources. The Cold Forge is a top secret we weapons development lab way out in the middle of space orbiting a star where it's really hard to detect them and stuff like that. And um, they're, uh, uh, um, they're called the Cold Forge because they make non-military weapons, or non-ballistic non, non weapons, like not missiles, not lasers, not, you know, they make things like supercomputer viruses. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, you know, which are like viruses that are really capable of lashing together a huge network out of available resources once they have any amount of access. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of stuff where it starts like... It, and that's one of the projects. It's called Silver Smile. And uh, there's another one that's um, uh, called Rose Eagle, I think it was, um, which is a uh, quantum entanglement communication system that, that is, is... They're working on a system somehow to read other people's quantum entangled communications, which... Anybody who knows anything about physics would be like, that's impossible. Yeah. Uh, but I think that that was the point of that one being maybe possible. Is that, oh, that's super scary. What if they could do it? Uh, and then the last one is, of course, weaponizing the xenomorph. Because the company did listen to Burke that it was a good <laughs> idea. But they didn't think he was the right person. And he proved them right. Right. He absolutely made a huge fucking ass of himself and then died. I mean, think about the court documents that have anything to do with Carter J. Burke. <laughs> right? Like, there, there's got to be something, like, these, they probably went in, after he was dead, they probably went to his apartment to, like, clean it out. 60 years later, found, like, <laughs> hooker bodies or something like that. Like, that man was off the rails. He never, he, Paul Reiser was so good in that role, I never trusted him again. That's what I was going to say. Do you think the <laughs> casting was good? Because it's like, you watch Mad About You, and you're like... Run, Helen. What? Yes. <laughs> He's not safe. <laughs> opposite her, or opposite Dorian, is uh, a woman named Blue Marsalis, who is uh, who has a, a late-stage epigenetic disorder um, caused from having parents and grandparents who were exposed to the rigors of being colonists. And, you know, because we don't know exactly what will happen to our bodies for, if we're out in hostile environments like that for that long. Because right. you are still going to be microdosing radiation on a level beyond what we're talking about. Or gravitational changes to your body. You know, like, we can't put gravity drive on Mars. Sorry, bro. Yeah. Like, right. you move there, you weigh different now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and that's one of the things I thought was really cool that they were exploring in the expansive course. Mm -hmm. You know, but... Um, Anyway, so she's suffering from this uh, uh, terminal illness that's just like it's, it's a lot, it's very similar to a disease called AT, which I'm not going to try to pronounce. Um, I know that it's sort of ataxic something something, so please just look it up. Um, and it, you know, it affects um, uh, like 500 kids a year, but it's like multiple sclerosis, cystic fibrosis, you know, and like symptoms of dementia and things like that all together, you know. Most of these people don't live past the age of 15. Mm -hmm. And here's a, you know, here's somebody who has something that is similar to that. There's her body is falling apart. She's not able to, uh, her motor functions are suffering and all this other stuff. And, and, but she's a brilliant geneticist. And so, she has an android body that's been furnished for her by Wayland Utani. Oh, cool! Um, that she connects to uh, using this like brain direct interface, and she can walk around the station as Marcus, this android. Uh, she took the job because her senior vice president had some inside line, and basically it said, "If you go to there, you're going to be given access to." the most powerful DNA rewriting system of all time. Mm -hmm. Because think about it. The xenomorph, they mimic their hosts. Right. So if you put it in a crocodile, you get a crocolisk alien or whatever. Right. You know? And so uh, it's like the fastest, most powerful DNA rewriting system of all time. It makes CRISPR look like a joke. Yeah. You know? And so, uh, so she's there to study 
the uh, the bacteria that sort of we learn in Prometheus and Covenant is like really what these things start out as. Right. And um, but they've put her there to weaponize it, mm. and she is embezzling from the company. Ooh. Uh, she's so kind of more samples. like a Burke kind of character. She's stealing samples so that she can try and make a cure for all genetic diseases. So kind of like the dude in uh, Jurassic Park, <laughs> in a way. Yeah, but like in a good way. But like, in a, yeah. But, but like she's she's trying to cure all genetic disease. Now she has one, and I think it's interesting because some reviewers have brought that into question as like, well, that makes it that makes it questionable whether or not it's meritorious that she wants to cure herself. Oh, because yeah. well, it's from a selfish. Yeah, there's, there can yeah. be no nobility if you're trying to not die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, like, she does some other things that are bad. Like, right. the Cold Forge, like, is full of bad people. In terms of my books, it has the most flawed individuals, I would say. Well, I don't know, it might be tied with every Mountain Megalo. Those two are kind of bummers. But, like, <laughs> you know, that's okay. If you like that, I mean, like, I, I promise you a good read. Yeah. I promise you, you won't put it down. And, you know, I, I like to think that you'll have a lot of satisfaction from the endings. But I'm going to say also that they're very, um, they're very angry books. Yeah. You know, they're, they're mad about people who are complicit in bad things and mm-hmm. doing nasty stuff to one another. Right. I don't like it. I'm putting it in my books. Right. Those two books kind of turned out like that. And it's great because it was, it was nice to, like, you know, go into the tie-in of an alien, you know, an alien tie-in and, you know, say, like, I'm not going to do extruded tie-in product. I want to do something literary right. and difficult. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I love that the birth movie's death review was essentially like, this shouldn't have been a tie-in. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite thing because it's like, kind of bags on tie-ins for a lot while I'm like, hey, buddy. <laughs> you know? right. But he's basically saying this yeah, should she... have been a book in and of itself, not connected to Alien. Yes, yeah. yes she was. Lee Monson, you gave me my favorite review of that batch. That was so wonderful. Though, all the fan sites, oh man, when the fans come in for a book and they don't hate you, ah, mm-hmm. uh, man, that makes me, I was so scared. Right. <laughs> like, you know, I was, you know. Because this isn't your, only your thing. Mm. It's a known property. Right. And, yeah. It's basically going up to a bunch of strangers like, hey, can I hold your baby? <laughs> to, to a lot of people, you know, yeah. And, and the thing is, uh, that's because they don't recognize, of course, that it's a, a fictional property and not a baby. Right. That that would be the problem there mm-hmm. in that interaction. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you also don't want to piss them off because that's your right. readership. Right, right, exactly. Well, and it's, it's kind of like a, uh, you know, like, hey, I may not like, you know, the, the television depiction of r- recent days uh, in some ways. But um, it's a fictional property that um, doesn't really belong to me. And I am very sad for everybody who is really, really invested in it. Mm-hmm. Don't send them death threats. That's really no. just where I draw the line. You can express your grief and shit, but like... Right. You know, it's a Twitter <laughs> sounding board. Well, so, so it's, it's, it's like six months before Cold Forge is supposed to come out. Right? I'm at Dragon Con, and I'm sitting on a panel with like Drew Gaska from like who does, like, Planet of the Apes, and he's one of, like, the official canon keepers for Fox. Oh, wow. You know? And, like, uh... Uh... Oh, man. There's, like, a like a big space military SF person. I don't remember his name, but it's somebody that everybody loves that I can never remember his name, and I'm sorry. You know, there's, like, a, a Robin Hood, like, reimagining novelist. Mm-hmm. And then there's, like, a... a like, a person who wrote for The Tick and now writes, like, Arrow novels. Okay. You know, and really nice people. All the people on the panel, I really loved talking to them. And then one, uh, the, the, the subject of death threats comes up. And the woman writing the Robin Hood books is like, oh, I've gotten death threats. And I was like, from the Robin Hood From the fandom? Robin Hood people? <laughs> like, I didn't even know there was a Robin Hood fandom. Like, I, I get... What? Like most people, it's a classic, and yes, they're aware of it, and they like it. Dear madam, this was not about a fox. (laughs) We will be practicing our bow and arrows on your face today. 
Like, wow. But it's, but I was like, death threats for that? You know, that's terrifying. And then Drew's like, oh, I've gotten death threats over Planet of the Apes. I'm like, over Planet of the Apes? I couldn't get that worked up over Planet of the Apes. I'm like the most worked up in this second over Planet of the Apes that I've ever been in my life. Wow. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I can't imagine being that mad about Planet of the Apes, but it means that to somebody. And, 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 uh, it, and this speech is not going to end with me exonerating anybody who fucking sends death threats. Right. But th- we go down the panel, and each panelist working with a fandom mentions that they've had a death threat. And they all look to me, whose book hasn't come out yet. Right. You haven't had the chance. Right. And I felt... I was... When I got wow. the book deal, <laughs> I felt so happy. I was like, I'm finally writing an alien. I'm so glad. And then I <laughs> came out and then did the alien thing and i'm like watching the release day coming towards me like a freight train i'm like if this marries up with the sad puppies Mm -hmm. like i feel like i'm about to get knocked over i'm terrified i live in a state that would be hostile to me right you know that kind of stuff you know it's just like oh man what have i got myself into and then the fan sites are coming out with these like five star reviews and everybody's like we all agree it's the greatest and like i've I'm just like, if everybody put it down right now, and that was the book's legacy, I'd be perfectly satisfied. <laughs> and then they're like, you want to do a sequel? And I'm like, yeah, uh, I do. And like, <laughs> I don't know how I'm supposed to live up to what you guys just said about me. I feel like I'm guaranteed to disappoint at this point. <laughs> uh, you know, it sounds scary. They are have been... Contrary to what I was expecting, some of the nicest, most accepting people. I've heard nothing but good things about the alien fandom. Well, it was, it was, and, and I'm sure other people have different experiences. I mean, it's a large fandom. Right, I'm not right. Gonna see character. Yeah, they're all great. Every right. single one of them. You should give them your social security Trust number them. and alarm codes. Right. I would give them my lungs to, to breathe for me. <laughs> yeah, no, um... Yeah, they're no, but they've been really, they've been really uh, sweet to me, uh, really unexpectedly, and kind of count several of them. The main influencers have kind of like counseled me through their fandom, and let me tell you, fans, if you hold a creator's hand through your fandom, that's really helpful <laughs> because I felt like such a poser uh, writing this alien book, you know, because you go in there and you're like. Uh, you know, oh, I'm going to finally do my take on Alien, and you start researching to back up your take, and all you find are people that know way more about the franchise than you. Right. Are, like, completely current on everything. Right. You know, and so I, I like, really sandboxed this story. I was like, I'm going to make sure that this story connects in exactly as many ways as validates the new Fox direction for now. I'm sure some other director's going to come crush me. Um, but I'm canon for now. Canon for now! <laughs> um, and I did big arms there, listener. Um, so, you know, but, like, I really sandboxed the story to kind of, like, keep it away from predicting the future of the franchise. Right. By working in very established territories. I mean, like, what, are they going to unanchor aliens from the franchise? Like, yeah, we're going to retcon that one away. <laughs> No. no. <laughs> it's only in AFI's top 10 films of all time. Right. Yeah, no. It's not going to happen. It's there to stay. It could get its own star on the Walk of Fame. <laughs> and I say this as a, an Alien fan. It's right. It's superior in it, every it, way. Bill Paxton. I'm just kidding. It's, it doesn't have as good chase scenes. Cause, <laughs> so yeah. anyway, that's the Cold Forge. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are a lot of... Also, uh, it's, it's nice to be able to say, you know, there are a lot of queer issues in there that uh, are center around Blue, the character who pilots a male body and, and all that other stuff. And, and, and for her, it ends up being kind of like, that ends up being one of the only perks of the job, mm-hmm. you know? And um, so, again, I was like, 
oh man, I'm so afraid. What is Fox going to say to all my gay stuff? You know, like. I mean, yeah, because was this after Chuck Wendig's whole thing with Star Wars? Well, that's the thing. I mean, Wendig's whole thing lasts like multiple years now. Right. And and it's not. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I always hate putting it like that, too, right? Like, it's, it's, it's the. Completely unfair, terrible harassment of Chuck Wendig. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Hey, Chuck. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, um, I-, I wanted to get into a lot of that kind of stuff and get into a lot of kind of the, the pe- you know, predatory workplace behaviors. Right. Because I'm a corporate drone in my day job. Most of your authors are, mm-hmm. you know, or, 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 you know, they're doing some other job to try and make ends meet because you're not going to really tough to do in books yes um, but i'm like firefighting hey, yeah you know? hey <laughs> i like that you have one of those jobs it's like train conductor policeman <laughs> police officer you mother- <laughs> anyway um but yeah yeah but, uh so that's the cold forge it, it's great it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun exercise you know because also i work kind of in the tech industry now and so marrying up uh some criticisms of you know the the kind of disturbing spending patterns of the defense industry with some annoyance at the do it now do it now as fast as possible uh silicon valley attitude move fast and break things that's the that's the mm-hmm. saying that uh old zuck loves so much <laughs> you know and and so yeah Sorry, I just imagine Zuckerberg just running through fucking <laughs> yeah, with his weird data arm breaking shit, like an android. Yeah, like crushing that's, cubicles in his just way. How he gets through the office? <laughs> he just runs over interns for kicks. <laughs> He's like, hmm, that did make me feel better about my network. It's like Death Race two thousand or some shit, and he gets right. points for different positions. And anyway, we're going way off topic. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So anyway, if you've worked in the defense industry or the tech industry, or you just like to read about people who don't always like everything about them, uh, I do have some things about them that I'm very passionate about, which keep me in the business. <laughs> For any employers listening to me right now, I'm very passionate about my job, and I enjoy it very much. In this capitalist dystopia where I have to say that on the podcast <laughs> where I'm appearing. Uh, but, you know, the... Um, so yeah, after the Cold Forge then. Yes. So Orbit. Three books with Orbit, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, the series itself is called The Salvagers. Mm-hmm. And, and I named it myself. Because <laughs> sometimes that doesn't happen, listener. Yeah. Well, didn't Stephen help you with the title? Which title did Stephen help you with? Every Mountain Made Low. Oh. And it was like it was like this, like I really need to give him more. Like, he really pretty much wrote the title, if we're being honest. Mm-hmm. You know, because it, it was like, you know, Stephen, I need a Bible verse that reflects these five themes. And, of course, Stephen being this incredibly knowledgeable, I'm an atheist, by the way. He's a Baptist. It's like a <laughs> math lemon kind of thing. It's great. No, we, we're very sweet to one another. Um, but, you know, he's very... Uh, um, uh, why did I bring him up here? You brought him. I up. brought him up because uh, I was trying to think of uh, which title he had said he'd help. Oh, every with. mountain made low, right? So he he brings up this every mountain shall be made low, every valley exalted, mm-hmm. you know, and it's all about you know reaching equality, right? You know, and I was like, oh, what a verse! Oh, yeah, and, when you hit like, that title, mm-hmm. and like, furthermore, I didn't even mean for this to happen because it's it's. The central setting of the story... I, I can't believe I banged the table. I'm sorry. It's all right. I'm sorry. We're live! Sean, Sean doesn't... doesn't. He's not paying the penalty. <laughs> you are a listener. I'm sorry. So, anyway. Uh, yeah, so... You know, the central setting of Every Mountain Made Low is this place called The Hole, which is, again, this dystopian Birmingham, Alabama, where, like, the strip mining never really stopped, mm-hmm. and they just, like, dug, like, way into the bedrock. Mm-hmm. And... Um, of course, it's it's a town built into the rings. Mm-hmm. Which how how many rings do you think there are? Oh, if I were twenty nine, there are nine <laughs> circles of hell. Oh, <laughs> I, okay, Dante's Inferno. I got you. Yeah, I didn't even read it. 
I, I got my friend who's like much better at Dante than me <laughs> to tell me things because I found that that's the best way to go through life is find experts and get them to explain it. Right, and they're happy to. They love it. So anyway, um, yeah, so uh, every mountain made low, like, okay, the, the character who's the rich character who's like the villain of the piece, like lives at the top of this inverted spire mm-hmm. and somebody's coming from the bottom to get him because right. it wouldn't be a good revenge story if she wasn't. Right. Uh, you know, and so he's on the mountain, but it's an inverted spire and she'll bring him down low, right? Like, wow. And I remember one of my first Goodreads reviews was like, one star, title makes no sense. Oh, <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> I was like, my dream has come true. And then Goodreads was over there with a the crossbow, like, whip. <laughs> Who really? <laughs> they really shagged on my a title. On that one. Seriously though, like I've never, like I may, I may not have liked a particular title, but I've never liked. Actually, I don't think I've ever given a shit. Like, if that's the title, what? Am, how am I gonna control it? You know, if that's where you draw the line on one star, I feel like there were other things that you didn't connect with, yeah, and that you were just like, I just need you to feel something. So fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Your title is stupid. No, I, you know, hey, look, if you give me uh, a one-star review, I promise I won't respond and I don't read them. No. I will not read a word of a one-star review because it will kill me. Right. I'm just barely hanging in there, (laughs) y'all. I think that's how we all are. Even, especially the ones who are like, I don't care. I don't want to review Mm-hmm. Now they're going to arrange some, like, one-star review bombs like they do on Tomlinson. (laughs) Right. I'm just kidding. I'm not important like he is. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So, Orbit, The Salvagers. Oh, yeah. First book is a big ship at the edge of the universe. Yes. Yes, you got it in one. <laughs> That's the one thing. I love that title, A Big Ship at the Edge of the Universe. I love the title. It's great. I hear great title all the time. How do people, people always fuck it up? They say end of the universe. Really? Yeah, they say a big ship at the edge, end of the universe, and I always say, oh no, uh, the big ship is at the edge, the restaurant is at the end. That's a lot worse than mine. They say Daughters of the Forgotten Light, and mm-hmm. there's no the. I, that didn't bug me. But that's totally fucking up your time. <laughs> edge, not end. But it, actually, it is a threat to the u- universe. Yes, that, that big ship is a bad ship. Mm-hmm. But um, we don't want to spoil too much, man. Okay, well, second but, book, third book. Here's, here's, what, here's what I'll say. It's about a race car driver and a washed-up con artist that are forced to work together mm-hmm. uh, when uh, they both kind of accidentally stumble onto this galactic conspiracy from two different angles. Wow. And they have to go on the run, and they end up going on the run with some people from the con artist's past that maybe she hoodwinked pretty badly once. <laughs> and, and they have a lot of beefs. Right. And uh, kidnappings ensue. It's a space adventure. Nice. Uh, and it's, it's very space fantasy heavy, uh, like Star Wars. You know, there's magic in it, mm-hmm. uh, like Star Wars. Right. <laughs> it's always <laughs> funny whenever somebody else say, like, I don't know, you don't see a lot of like popular magic space operas. And it's like... You mean like Star Wars? Or, or, or like Battlestar Galactica when people were having like oracular visions. <laughs> but yeah, it's a real hard SF show. Right. You know, um, people right now are like, hey, you didn't hear noises in space on that show, so it was good. <laughs> I did love Battlestar, but for different reasons. Well, yeah. Anyway, uh, so it's a, but it's a magic space opera. Um, so space fantasy. Um, every single person in the universe has a spell they can cast. Okay? And you're born with it. You don't get to choose your spell. Right. And you, don't, you won't have the same spell as any immediate family member. And there are an unlimited number of marks. You cast spells by tracing marks in the air. Right. Your fingers glow. It's really cool. And, like, everything in their society assumes that you have that. <laughs> because everybody has it. Right. Except for one in five million people. Ah. Who are born with a condition called Arcana Dystocia. Mm-hmm. That's our con artist. Uh, the con artist... Um, you know, so, like, she has trouble, like, accessing her bank accounts... Uh, because she has to use this like crystal thing because turns out your spell pattern is a biometric and everybody uses that to unlock your crap Uh. so you can't log into your bank account because you can't trace (laughs) 
So it's kind of one of those, like, it's a little bit of, like, a... They uh, were forced into that life because they couldn't survive otherwise? Well, yeah, it's, well, it's, 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 um... It's a little bit like the uh, systemic model of disability, basically saying that, like, a person is not inherently disabled until you create a situation by choice that disables them. Right. You know, so, it, you know, if, if wheelchair ramps access, uh, elevators, and, like, escalator poles and all that stuff are readily available everywhere, mm -hmm. then that person would be fine. Right. And by choosing not to put them in, you create the disability. Right. Right. And so I liked writing about a society because, again, my child is having a lot of trouble navigating, mm -hmm. and um, it makes me very angry when things happen. Like we get crossways with the school system because of a lack of funding. Right. Thanks anybody who voted for Betsy DeVos to come into office. You can <laughs> not buy my books. It's fine. Yeah. Um, we can part. All right. <laughs> um, if if uh, yeah. Anyway. Sever the ties. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, so. But you know, seeing 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 the way that the world kind of, like, for sometimes for no reason will be unfair to people in certain situations, and and or, or the reason is it's cheap, you know, and most people won't complain, mm -hmm. and so that's actually kind of one of the uh, one of the things I'm always obsessed with. I want to write a book where. A bunch of people who are really well-meaning make a bunch of little bad decisions that at the end of it make them probably murder each other. I don't know. I'll call it Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. Those people were all monsters. <laughs> um, no, anyway. Anyway, so you, Breed Vita is your editor. Yes. How is it working with her? Uh, it's great. Uh, Breed is a lot of fun to be edited by. She has... A very Hollywood style that I like a lot. Um, I find that every editor gives notes in a different fashion, mm -hmm. and I hope it's not kissing and telling too much to kind of say like, "Well, here's the." I don't like that expression, crap. Anyway, <laughs> I hope it's not revealing too much of the professional secret to say that Brie gives notes like a producer. Mm -hmm. She has. Well, she gives me notes like a producer. I don't know how she gives other people's notes. Right. But it'll be very much like, you know, like, question mark? What even is this kind of, you know, like, it's very like, like, it's just high speed, <clears throat> fail fast, just wreck it. We're going to, like, we're going to, we're going to figure it I just complained about Zuckerberg, but <laughs> in my case, I'm just writing a book and not determining society's fate. So. <laughs> right. Um, so. Yeah, but it's it's really great because she gives these like really fast pitch notes that I can then respond to in a very fast pitch manner. We have a, a phone relationship, so I can I can call, mm -hmm. you know, and and unless you don't have that relationship with Breed, you're one of her other authors, at which point I don't. <laughs> and um, no, I, I mean I, I like almost never call her, which is why we probably still have one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You, know, you space them out enough to where it's not a... Right, exactly. Problem. Oh, if it's only like once or twice a year, it's fine. Right. No, she's really cool. She's really cool, very approachable. All my editors are very approachable. I think they all kind of like relish questions from the author. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't relish, uh, of course, any kind of like cattiness of any right. kind ever. I don't think anyone does. Mm. You know, it's, it's funny. Whenever I hear somebody getting real precious about like, oh, my edits are coming in, uh... Right. Like, what the hell? Why don't you shut your mouth? Maybe maybe you'll never get just, edits ever again after this. Yeah, that's the problem is uh, if you're yelling that about your boss online, it might be stupid, which is why I enjoy my job a lot. My mm -hmm. day job's awesome. <laughs> so you have in front of you, and technically in front of me, your tablet. I do. And you are working on the edit for the third Salvagers book. Is there a title and what is it if so? Yeah, it's The Worst of All Possible Worlds. And it is actually available for pre-order. All right. It comes out in March. Um, and I know that it's, it's, it's funny because like last year they released like two of them like back to back. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> Hashat was like, too fast. <laughs> we, we need to space this out and actually like take advantage of the sales. Right. <laughs> you know? Uh, Anyway, I, well, I have no idea what the exact thinking was, but I'm guessing. I'm hoping. <laughs> That's the one that I, I, I heard that one and I liked it the most. Right. So the explanation <laughs> I have no idea. 
Um, you know, I only care about what's in the book. Right. <laughs> right. I, I, um, so yeah, I'm working on it though, and I'm like streamlining the heck out of this thing. I'm so excited for it because, um, it builds on a lot of the setting that's already there. Mm. I mean, again, it's, you know, magic is a part of every single aspect of this society. And so it's very kind of like Mass Effect type tech, mm-hmm. but it's all magic tech. Right. Because let's face it, everything in Mass Effect was also magical. Yeah, They just true. pretended it was science. <laughs> so actually, I had this happen at a signing once. I loved this. This was, um, I mean, like... I tell these stories and like they're just funny. I swear to God, like. So this kid comes to the signing, and he's very loves to ask questions, and it you know doesn't really have like, you know, I don't know. He he just sat there and he asked question after question after question of me uh, about the writing process and getting into publishing and all this other stuff. Comes to this reading. And, like, I'm waiting, I'm, like, trying to, like, get away from him so that I can go to the signing table and all this other stuff. And I'm, like, uh, you know, well, I hope you'll buy my book, you know, mm-hmm. or I hope you'll, you'll come see me at the signing table. And he's, like, I don't really want your book. I don't read books about magic. What? <laughs> and I was, like. Wow. And I thought that that was, I, I, I thought it was funny. Uh, and then he goes. I was like, well, okay, I understand. So what is your favorite space opera? Because you did say you like space opera, and you said Mass Effect. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was just kind of like, well, that's about as scientific as a seance, but sure, bud. <laughs> I think what he really means is I just don't like the aesthetic of, like, glyphs and crap. Which, hey, you know what? I don't demand a sale. He came to the signing. Right. It was nice to see a butt in the seat. When other people passed by, my signing was less embarrassing. Thanks right. for showing up. <laughs> <laughs> You've earned a smile for <laughs> yeah. just standing there. Yeah, so thank I'll, you. Yeah, I'll give you a second of my time if you want to come to my signing and just stand there and make me look popular. Right. Yeah, I love you guys. Come on. <laughs> you help me not have to hire anyone. That's right. To just stand around. AstroTurf my signing. You think they do that in L.A. with a bunch of extras always looking for work? You know like, they do. Let me post something on some telephone poles, little uh, scissored tabs with the phone number. Let's get some extras out here to my book signing. You know they probably do. <laughs> I've heard every crazy, like every terrible scheme, yeah, that any author has ever come up with. I think I've heard it. Have you heard that one before? I like. Well, I mean, how different I mean. is that than you know paying for mass buys to hit times? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. In fact, the astroturfing your signings in LA probably sounds more legit. Right. You know, if I give, like, if I give everybody, like, it's like, like, come to my party. Every single one of you can leave here with a dime bag of weed. There's a producer coming. Right. <laughs> you know, like, just, I'm going to hand them out like trick or treats <laughs> at the end after we've all told him how smart I am mm-hmm. and how lucky you are to be here. <laughs> I mean, that's smart. I don't know if I'd be brave enough to try it, because I know my ass would get found out. Yeah, I feel like that's a good way to go to jail. Uh, where, <laughs> certainly where we are, which is why you wouldn't do that stuff. But, right. like, you know, the... Um, but, yeah, out in L.A.? <laughs> out in L.A.? Right. Where it's legal? I'm sure right. they do that. So they, do that for, they do that when they open up a uh, Baskin Robbins or something. <laughs> <laughs> or what's the... Pinkberry. Uh, you mean that's a Ben and Jerry's? <laughs> ben and Jerry's. What did I say, Baskin like, and Robin? We finally start putting in the, the ingredient we always wanted. <laughs> we'll have a weedy peedy. Oh, have they done that yet? I don't know. Oh, well, you need to write them a letter. Email. Make, make, a, make a little change off that idea. Oh, my God. So we're going to uh, start wrapping things up. We talked about your books. Uh, so with the salvagers... Is the third book going to be it? Is that the end? Or is um, the future open? Uh-huh. Open. Well, that's the challenge, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's important to me to write a satisfying arc. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, let's be real. We don't have the contract out mm-hmm. yet. We might. Right. Sales are great. There's been a lot of interest from cool people. The 55-star reviews in book two didn't hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, that's cool. But we don't have anything in hand. So I'm going to assume that I don't get another shot for now. Right. 
And I'm going to write the shit out of the end of this book. <laughs> and um, I want to make sure that you get a really good story mm-hmm. that is absolutely most definitely able to continue mm-hmm. if it needs to. Right. But you're going to get what you need in this book. If right. you need something in this book, it's going to happen <laughs> it's for gonna you. It's going to be <laughs> woven in. in. I made it for you. What a pitch. That's It's like, <laughs> buy this book and all your wildest dreams will come true. <laughs> I'm well, Tony Robbins. My wildest dreams will come true. That's true. <laughs> if I do this another 100,000 times. If you buy my book, one of our wildest dreams will come true. <laughs> right. 50-50 roulette. You or me. <laughs> that's, that's true. I only hear about two of us in this equation. Right. Your odds are good. <laughs> good odds. Buy my book. Very good odds. That's better than Vegas. <laughs> We were we Not were talking wants. about roulette tables and stuff yesterday. Oh yeah, I forget how we got user experience of roulette tables. Right, right. Because I'm obsessed with user experience. <laughs> See, actually, I'm, I wasn't really kidding when I was like, I love my day job. I really actually do. I'm very passionate about user experience. And anybody who reads my books will find an interface joke in every single book, almost. <laughs> I don't know if there's one in every Mountain Made Law. I, I think there probably is. Yeah. Uh, but there's a. Uh, there are a bunch of interface jokes in the Cold Forge. Mm-hmm. Because if you think that working in classified laboratories is like James Bond, mm-hmm. it is not. <laughs> it's like beige sheetrock walls and like machines that look like they fought the Russians and lost. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it is seriously, it is. <laughs> And anybody who's in the military is like, oh, yeah, the, uh, the helicopter I flew in was 60 years old. <laughs> you know, whenever somebody's like, you know, like, like we think about like, you know, like you go watch Black Hawk Down, for example. And the movie looks right. relatively recent mm-hmm. in terms of military technology. And it's because that Black Hawk Down that they're filming about is was the same brand one that we're new. using now. Yeah. No, it was oh, not. it was still old? <laughs> I mean, the design dates back to like Vietnam. Wow. The last time we bought a new complete military system was the Kiowa Warrior, I think, in like 84. Wow. Yeah, normally we don't buy like complete systems. I like I think the F-35 is a joint system, for example. But like, so I think I was talking army only. But like, because of that, imagine if I told you, you know, like from a military applications perspective, uh, the Xenomorph actually has lots of them. <laughs> you know, how are they able to gain biomass so quickly, for example? Mm-hmm. How do you go from chestburster to adult in like six hours? Right. You know, or less, way less in, Prome- in Covenant. I have no idea how that was supposed to happen. You know, and then uh, uh, that kind of stuff. You know, uh, they can construct things abnormally quick- quickly, right? Mm-hmm. It took them like 10 minutes to make the nests around Hadley's Hope. You know, that kind of stuff. And so I was like... You know, from an end-to-end system perspective, the Xenomorph is actually kind of the ultimate weapon. They're kind of right. It's kind of amazing. If we, you know, like, I'm sure the synthetic musculatures would probably, like, improve robotics for years to come. You know, that kind of crap. Anyway. Alien in the Cold Forge. I talked about it too much, but please buy Salvagers. It's my original IP. I get a better royalty. Do you have an idea for your... <laughs> Do you have an idea for your next book? Hmm. Yes. Works. Do, do you care to share? I don't. Okay, let's keep uh, it secret. <laughs> no, I don't know. I like. I'm, see, the problem is, like, I'm always like peddling ideas for my next book. Like, I have four ideas for my next book or whatever, you know. And like, uh, I always work on them, mm-hmm. and I they turn into books. But you know, because the sales cycle is like so long, you know. Um, okay, I do have some idea hooks for my next books. I'll right. just I'll just give you the the hooks. One of the ones that I was thinking about, and this is going to sound like the dorkiest hook of all time, so like, <laughs> but I love fountain pens. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fountain pen fan. I like writing people little handwritten notes on stationery and stuff. I just go out for that. Uh, you know, tea would be good too you know, with that. <laughs> I also like coffee. I like it all. But anyway, um, fountain pens. One of the reasons, like, fountain pen users are really persnickety about their fountain pens because the nibs wear to their handwriting. Ah. So the longer you use something like an extra fine nib, the more it's going to kind of wear down into the shape that you, and the angle that you, you know, write on, mm-hmm. supposedly. I don't know if that's true or not. I've not done that enough to really notice a difference in any of the nibs that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I like the idea 
because I also married it up with the idea of psychometry. Mm-hmm. Um, psychometry is a uh, is like the 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 reading of objects like psychically. And I started to think like, what if you could kind of like read the past off of the wear pattern on a nib? Hmm. And so like, if it was a so like, there are these psychics that uh, they're they're they specialize in different things. Like this guy specializes in you know, um, attire, mm-hmm. you know, so he can put on somebody's clothes and have the experience they had in their clothes. And then this guy, uh, who's at the core of this story, he, uh, can read people's old pens. And as he does the reading, he experiences the day from that perspective. And then he writes out a letter mm-hmm. that was the last thing written with that pen. And so he's of course sought after by every espionage organization in the world. Right. Um, and it's in this very like dark, kind of 1970s um, Tinker Taylor kind of setting. Cool. 